following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today's uh, Old Testament reading comes from the book of Genesis in the 17th chapter. I'm going to be reading 1 through 7 and then verses 15 and 16. It's titled, The Sign of the Covenant. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you an ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you an, uh, make nations of you, and kings come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the, their generations for an everlasting covenant, and be God to you and your offspring after you. Ellipsis. <laughs> and God said to Abram, And for Sarai, your wife, you will not call her Sarai, you will, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Then the people shall come from her. Reading the Lord. Oh, thank you, Pastor Jay. Okay, <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna be editing on the fly here, which I'm happy to do. But if it's bad, that's the reason. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to edit this part, though. I want to show you a picture. Um, we'll put this picture on the screen um, of Grandpa Romero. Uh, this is. Um, and now I'm worried. Vamp. Sorry? Vamp. Vamp. Okay, I'll, I'll vamp for a moment. Um, <clears throat> did you guys see that football thing? <laughs> yeah, them guys. They're, they're really having a, a season, aren't they? <laughs> there it is. This is Grandpa Romero. Um, and he's meeting Cinna, our little cinnamon girl. Um, this was last summer uh, when we had first gotten our puppy, uh, and Grandpa Romero is enjoying a, a wiggly puppy, puppy in the best way that anyone can, which is by feeling her fuzzy face. Um, Grandpa Romero, uh, this is Tracy's grandpa, so my grandfather-in-law, uh, he lost his eyesight several years back. Um, but he is uh, a, a hero of our country and a hero of our family. Um, he fought in World War II. He worked in the steel plants in Buffalo for years. He was a, a bartender, um, and uh, he was he was born on the kitchen table in his parents' house, uh, 15 pounds. 
Yeah, which was about 15% of his mother's body weight. Um, and that, that kitchen table birth took place uh, almost to the day, 99 years before this photo was taken. Um, Grandpa Romero is, uh, as you can guess, uh, a tough cookie. <laughs> um, he, he beat COVID without the vaccine. <laughs> Um, in his 90s. He's, uh, he is probably going to outlive us all. But I wanted you to see this picture um, because he's part of my family's heritage um, and because when you hear the story of Abram getting a new name at the age of 99 years old, it might be helpful to think of a specific person who's that old right now. Um, Someone, in this case, who was born before the Big Band era, before FM radio. Uh, someone who was born before color TV and before Elvis took uh, the nation by storm. Someone who was old enough to have a 19-year-old great-grandson. And that's my son, Abel, holding the, the puppy in that picture. I don't know if you know anybody who's 99 years old, but I do. I know one person. So today's sermon is entitled, Promise Delayed, Promise Kept. And when I say delayed, I I want you to think about Abram's story up to the point of today's reading. Um, And uh, this particular occasion happened when he was 99 years old, but the the story of his calling started when he was uh, very young, at only age 75. (laughs) Now, I want you to think about the fact that someone who was 75 had their whole world turned upside down, right? (laughs) I'm 46, and I don't even like it when they change the app icons on my phone. (laughs) I don't like when the buttons move from one place to another. I can't imagine 30 years from now being told by God, get up and go. And me saying, go where? And God saying, somewhere. Because that's what Abram basically was told at 75. This is Genesis chapter 12 where this part of the story begins. Get up and leave the land of your fathers and go to a place that I will show you. To help put that in perspective, the distance between today's reading and that first calling um, is 24 years. So uh, what were you doing uh, to help solve the problem of the Y2K bug? (laughs) Were you even born? Do you even know what the Y2K bug was? (laughs) What were you doing when the millennium changed, right? Those of us who are very old remember this. It was that long ago in Abraham's story, or Abram's story, before he was renamed Abraham. I want to take a look really quickly at what happened in between Genesis 12, when he was 75, and Genesis 17, when he was 99. Right, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to open my red Bible here, and if you wanted to, if there's, at least in the middle sections, you could probably find a red Bible and look at it, or um, you maybe brought a Bible or have a Bible app or something, you could look and see. Genesis 12 is the first call of Abram. Later in that chapter, they're out and about trying to find the place that the Lord is going to show them, and they find themselves in Egypt, and Abram knows that his wife is very beautiful, um, 
and that puts him at risk when they meet the pharaoh. And so he says, let's just pretend you're my sister. And things proceed from there, as you might imagine. Uh, then he has a, a major family separation with Lot, his nephew. Um, he receives a very kind of bizarre spiritual blessing by this mysterious figure, the Melchizedek. In Genesis 15, God comes back to Abram and reiterates this, this promise with, with some new language. And it elaborates on what that will mean for his family. And then Abram goes into this deep sleep and has one of the weirdest dreams ever where like animals are split in part and a t flaming torch passes between them, um, which was a kind of like an ancient world way of sealing a promise, basically saying, if I break my promise to you, may it, this happen to me. May I be torn in two and a fire pass right through my body. Uh, in Genesis 16... Um, Abraham and Abram and Sarai are getting somewhat impatient. It's been a long time since the promise was made, and still they have no children of their own. And so um, they come up with the idea that Abram should have a child by Sarai's handmaid, her slave, right? Um, which I don't think we should just breeze past, right? This was, I don't think. Uh, Hagar, the, the, the slave, the handmaid, had any say in this matter. doesn't really go into too much detail about that, but this was, this was a violation, right? And she, she does have a son named Ishmael. And for a moment, it seems like that's the way God's promise is going to be made whole. Uh, later in the story, spoiler alert... Um, Abraham and Sarah have a child together, uh, and then there, which creates jealousy with uh, Ishmael, and so they actually send Ishmael away. Abraham is not like this model person of God's kindness to everyone around him, um, nor is Sarah, for that matter. I tell you that because the beautiful thing in that part of the story is that God says, "You know what? Ishmael is your son too, and I'm going to make a nation through him." <laughs> And so God honors that part of the promise as well. <clears throat> That's just a like, very quick overview of the things that happened in between the first call of Abram and this moment um, where he's renamed as Abraham. And by the way, the names in the Bible often have really important meanings. And what, what Abram meant was exalted father. Now that's a name that Abram got from his father. Uh, but I imagine it sort of followed him around as he got into his 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s up into his 90s and did not have uh, a son in his household yet. Exalted father was kind of probably not the most comfortable name for him to be walking around with. So God gives him this new name, Abraham, which means father of many. And Sarai's name changes to Sarah, um, changing from a word that means princess to a word that means princess to many or princess of many. Oh, and also in this story, <clears throat> circumcision. <laughs> uh, did you notice the ellipsis in what Jay read? <laughs> that was the revised common lectionary, protecting our tender ears <laughs> from the sign of the covenant which comes on 
Abram's slash Abraham's side of things, which would probably be a very complicated sermon to give all in its own right. I certainly don't have time to add it on to this one. <laughs> but what an interesting symbol of this sign of trust for a person who had been promised a child and hadn't had one yet. To have that particular uh, act become the sign. But it would then be another whole year before... Um, Isaac was born to Sarah after this promise. So Abraham, Abraham is now like 100 years old. I don't think Grandpa Romero wants any more, <laughs> any more children. Um, could you imagine having a child at that age? So when I say promise delayed, I, I mean really delayed. This was a very long time before this promise was, was fulfilled. But it was, and so I also really mean it when I say promise kept. You know, last week um, on the first Sunday in Lent, I, I talked about those two occasions in Jesus' life where a voice from heaven spoke through the clouds and named him as beloved son. It happened at his baptism, and then the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness, and he had um, a period of years where he underwent all kinds of trials, not just the temptations in the, in the desert, but you know all the stuff I mentioned last week, including the brutal execution of his um, cousin, John the Baptist. Before he got up onto the mountaintop for the transfiguration, when the voice broke through the clouds once again to say, this is my beloved son. And I talked last week about how all of this stuff that happens to us in between our moments of spiritual clarity or awakening, in between these quote-unquote mountaintop experiences, can make it really difficult to continue to trust because you start to wonder, okay, that really felt real to me, but it's now been three years, and I've felt nothing since then, maybe. Or what I've felt has been such a lower-grade version of that that I'm starting to wonder if that even happened to me at all or if I was just lying to myself. And today's story, I think, is in some ways the same story. Because there's all of these years, all of these trials, all of these mess-ups and screw-ups, in Abram's case, between when the promise was given and when it was reinforced for that last time before it was finally fulfilled. And maybe... Um, just as Abram was in the wilderness wondering when he was going to end up in his final place, just as Jesus went out into the desert, maybe you feel also that you are in the wilderness in between these experiences of, of reinforcement and of affirmation. Maybe you're wondering whether God has forgotten you. Maybe you're wondering if God is even real. Maybe you're wondering what you've done wrong to have messed this whole thing up. Or you're wondering how much longer it will be or for how many more seasons or how many more life changes do I have to undergo? How many new versions of myself do I have to create before I finally get the thing that was promised to me that felt so real? I, I say that to you because I really very, very much want to affirm that and those questions, that experience and those questions as normal in the experience of walking with God, normal in the experience of, of following Jesus. 
And if you feel like you're in the wilderness and you've been there way longer than you want to, not only are you not alone in this room, I can guarantee you that, but you're not alone in the whole story of Scripture. And it's not like all the giants of these Bible stories were able to avoid that same experience themselves. Not even Jesus was able to avoid that experience. Now, there's one more passage from the lectionary readings for the second Sunday in Lent that we haven't read yet today. And I do want to take a look at it now, recognizing that I am extra short on time. It's the epistle reading, which epistle just means letter. And so the, the letters of the New Testament, uh, uh, in other words, of the Christian scriptures, give us this really interesting moment in the whole big grand story of God, right? So you have the Hebrew Bible slash Old Testament reading, which is a very, very old story, right? Uh, we've, we heard the gospel reading earlier. I talked about Jesus a minute ago. These are the stories of the gospels in the New Testament. The epistles take us even beyond that, where the leaders of the Christian church begin to um, explain all that has happened in the, the story of the people of God in light of what they now know about Jesus. And we get to read these letters 2,000 years after that fact and wonder what that might mean for us. Uh, but these epistle readings give us kind of a, a unique type of viewpoint on the scripture's stories. Right? Um, the phrase that we used in seminary a lot is scripture interprets scripture. So if you want to know what's happening in Genesis 17 with Abram and how uh, the story of Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection might have to do with that and what it might have to do with people who are living after that fact, you can find that kind of thing in the epistles sometimes. But you do have to wade through uh, some Pauline language. <laughs> so uh, Romans 4, 13 through 25 is Paul talking about the story of Abraham. Here's what he says. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And I'm going to pause in that reading there and not read the rest of that text for now. Um, but I would encourage you to read it on your own, perhaps. See, so much of the early Christian church's struggle for understanding was wrapped up in this story. Right? Um, what did it mean for Abraham to be the father of many nations? Not just of the people of Israel, but all of these Gentiles who started kind of having these experiences with God that were not expected and were, should not have been expected by people. And it's easy for us now to say, oh, those Israelites, they had such, a, <clears throat> such an exclusivist kind of approach to their faith. And then to say, oh, some, of, some Christians we know, not us, but some other Christians we know have such an exclusivist approach to their faith. And, and can't people always just see that God wants everybody at God's table? Well, the answer to that is no. no we can't even see that. We might be very proud of ourselves for how 
um, welcoming and inclusive we are. And yet I bet there's some people you could think of who you might wish never come to this table. And I think it might be helpful for us to, to stretch ourselves into a place of some empathy for the early Christian church who were asking questions like this. How can we let Gentiles into the Christian story because the Christian story is the Jewish story and it is so clearly birthed from these early promises that Abraham would be the father of God's people? Or the question of, speaking of the ellipsis, how can there be a covenant with them when there is no sign of the covenant for them? And don't you think we probably ought to make them do the thing that we all did? <laughs> and the Gentiles are going, oh, please no, oh, please no, oh, please no. <laughs> right? How can we just throw out the law of Moses? Now this is going to require extrapolation that I'm not able to do right now from the Abraham story, but it was definitely part of the thread. How can we just throw out everything that the, the, the Bible says about who's in and why and how you become part of the family? There's a way to do this, and this is not it. And the reason is because the ultimate question is, we fought so hard for this. We were oppressed. We were enslaved. Everyone in the world hated us, and yet God loved us and carried us through this whole thing. We can't just let go of that identity. Their whole identity of not only who they were as a people, but who they were in God was threatened by the doors being opened wider. And I don't think we are in any place to cast stones at them for that. And I wonder if we might ask ourselves, what is our identity in God if we suddenly stop excluding people who it's been very natural for us to exclude? How is our identity threatened by the presence of other people? What is our identity in God if the promises seem to have been abandoned by God? That was a question that Abraham himself, I'm sure, asked. What is our identity in God if we depart from our family's traditions or our parents' version of Christianity or our grandparents' version or great-grandparents' version? If we step away from that, who even are we? And lastly, and maybe most importantly, what would our identity in God be if we stopped struggling so hard to define it, to own it, to behave ourselves into it, to perform ourselves into it? And that's the whole message that the Apostle Paul wants to give to this early Christian church who's asking some of the same questions. Listen, it doesn't have to do with the law. It doesn't have to do with circumcision. It doesn't have to do with anything that you can manage on your own. The promise rests on grace. Listen, there is nothing for any of you to do. There is nothing for any of you to obtain. You and I already have all that you need. You already are all you need to be. There is no work, no task, no act of holiness, no performative statement that will bring you one millimeter closer to God's love for you because God's love for you is already one 
and the same with who you are as a human being. And every time we struggle and fight and try to carve out our identity and, and make sure everyone knows who we are, it's sort of like we're returning to the law. We're trying to make up our own new sign of this covenant, which is already ours by virtue of our birth, not necessarily even as children of Abraham, but as children of God. And so I'm going to encourage you to repeat that phrase to yourself. Right now and throughout this week, whenever you're tempted to manage your identity, whenever you're tempted to do something so that you are remaining in God's good grace, remember that the promise rests on grace, not on you. The promise rests on grace. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.